Hello to all pioneers, visionaries, and innovators. My name is Janice King. Welcome to Passioners Podcast, a podcast that tells stories of passionate people who inspire us, and hopefully you as well. If you enjoy listening to us, consider rating and commenting on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is about Rob Taylor, a senior camera journalist for BBC News. Based in London and part of the UK operations team, he covers news stories in the UK, Europe, and around the world. I found Mr. Taylor. Uh, He told me to call him Rob, so I will refer to him as Rob instead. I found Rob in Forbes list 30 under 30 published in 2020. At the age of 22, currently 23 years old, he became the youngest senior camera journalist at BBC. So without further ado, let's begin. The first question obviously is, uh, when did you become interested in filmmaking? Wow. So uh, I actually became um, interested in filmmaking when I was around 12 or 13 years old. And that's properly. I I, I was sort of um, messing around with cameras when I was at school when I was around 10 or 11. But it was when I actually had saved up for three years to get an iPhone. And I managed to get an iPhone 4. And uh, I had a friend who was on YouTube making comedy videos just using the laptop webcam. And I just got this new phone that could shoot incredible footage. Well, incredible at the time. Um, And I said, um, would you like for me to film your YouTube videos and then edit them and, and, you know, film it on my iPhone, which was something completely new back then? Um, He said yes. And uh, we continued doing that for many months. And it it was never anything viral. Um, it, It just really went around sort of our school and our friends and, To be honest, people laughed at us. Um, But that's the whole point of a comedy show, to make people laugh. Um, So, so yeah, we we did that. And um, that's where it kind of kicked off my love for filmmaking. Would you like me to carry on a little bit? No, so were people making fun of you guys making those contents or were they laughing at the content itself? Uh, unfortunately, it was the former. It was the first first one. They <laughs> they, they they just took the, what we would say. They, they took the Mickey. Um, they they didn't they didn't like uh, didn't particularly like it for the comedy. They just thought it was funny that we were trying to do it. Um, as I said, we never went viral, so that's a bit of a shame. But it is what it is. Gotcha. So after that, you actually started your own video production company at sixteen. And so, could yeah. you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I got quite into filming stuff with my iPhone and then editing it. Although um, the kit I had, the iPhone was good, but compared to the iPhones of today, it was very slow. Uh, And I also had a a, a laptop, which was really, really slow. And to actually see what I'd filmed, I'd have to wait 24 hours for that to process, you know, after I'd edited it to actually see if I'd edited it correctly. So, you know, I I did this for a while and then I was like, I need to up my game. So I I started saving money again and uh, I was doing little bits at school at the same time. Um, I then got a DSLR, uh, which meant that I could sort of up the quality of my videos. And uh, I ended up filming promotional videos for my school. The school had like a, a record label in their music department, which they were trying to go a little bit public with. So I made music videos for them and filmed their concerts and stuff like that. And that ended up on YouTube. And uh, yeah, from people I met, I was finding that there was quite a lot of sort of young people my age at the time, you know, in the 14, 15, 16 year olds uh, who were, you know, really into music, you know, a lot of rappers and stuff like that and bands. And uh, I I started filming them and... I never really earned any money, but then that's what led me to to create my own video production company. Um, and it was a proper company. I registered it with Companies House in the UK. Um, and to be honest, I wouldn't recommend doing it at that age because uh, 16 is the, the legal age that you can create a company in the UK. Um, but with it, which I didn't really look into, was uh, loads of tax forms and I had to get an accountant to fill in annual accounts 
to work out if I had to pay any corporation tax. I, uh, I, I never knew about that. Um, but it did give me the platform to be a little bit more uh, entrepreneurial and to make a little bit of money. And I did manage to get um, a couple of local companies and people in my community paying me to make stuff, which, you know, I, I just, it was a hobby really that grew into a, a bit of a passion. And to be paid for it was, it was a, a lovely bonus. And it was quite nice to sort of learn a little bit about running a business. And I did actually study um, business studies at my school. So that kind of gave me a little bit of information about it. So I guess that's kind of why I did it. So in the media production company, did you make how much money did you make? Did you make enough money to buy other camera gears? Did you make a lot of money? I'm not quite sure. Uh, it, it, it was really minimal money. Um, but I did add to my kit. That's all the money went to it never went to, you know, holidays or, or going out to the shops and buying stuff. It was it was always for camera kit. And I did manage to save up uh, in, a, in a few years to get a MacBook, which really, really upped my game because the laptop that I was originally shooting on, it just wasn't feasible, you know, for clients to come to me and say, right, we need something turned around very quickly. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's going to take a little bit longer because it takes 24 hours to actually see what I've edited. And bear in mind that when I'm editing, when I press play, I see every you know, five frames. So I don't actually I did I couldn't on the laptop that I had at the time, see everything in real time. So it was a real slow process. But getting my MacBook was fantastic. Uh, because it really allowed me just to, you know, properly offer a service that people could count on me to deliver. So you had this one hobby of filmmaking. And I feel like at that age, a lot of you know, children have hobbies, but how did you have like how did you continue with this one hobby to become make it a professional i guess so growing up and this is sort of in addition to my filmmaking i loved television i loved watching tv um, particularly stuff that was live because there was like an excitement to it and uh yeah i i just i was like you know what this could be quite good because i like filmmaking i love cameras how about i try and and you know it was a dream back then when i was you know 14 15 16 how about i try and get into television and uh, i did my research and the way to get into sort of proper television where you make programs and shows is to start with something called a runner which is in every sense of the word you know you are running around just doing you know tasks uh, big and small to help the production work and it could be getting everyone's dinner for them, making teas and coffees, running scripts, all that sort of stuff. And to be honest, if I could have left school at 16, I would have done that. Unfortunately, uh, the UK government at the time put in a rule saying you had to stay in formal education until you were 18. And I was the first year. Um, so I couldn't even get out to work if I wanted to, uh, or, or, or get on anything like a an apprenticeship or anything like that. So I had to stay in education until I was 18. So I went to sixth form to do uh, my A-levels. And by the time that uh, I turned 18, I'd joined loads of Facebook groups to do with television. And uh, I managed to get a job on there working for uh, ITV, which is one of our big broadcasters in the UK, uh, working on a quite popular entertainment program called Saturday Night Takeaway with a uh, Anton Deck, who are um, very well known in the UK. Uh, and, and I basically just continued to get jobs off of that. So I worked for the X Factor, which you may have heard of uh, in, in the UK, which is really good fun. Um, all, all, all as a runner, but it was great just to be in that environment to feel the buzz. And thankfully, all those dreams that I had, it actually turned out to be as good as I thought it would be. Uh, and I remember going to those jobs and just thinking, oh my gosh, I've actually managed to get into the industry, um, which, to be honest, decades ago would have been a lot trickier. So could you tell us more about what you do at BBC and what does your schedule and day-to-day -day look like? So I'm very lucky that after the apprenticeship, I managed to 
get a job in uh, regional news where I moved up to Manchester for six months. Uh, and I worked there and I, everything I learned in that year, I managed to put into practice in those six months and do the job myself, you know, solo. And then I was very lucky in that I managed to get a permanent job, which is where I am now, in the department where I trained back in London. Uh, it's a department called UK Operations. And what I do now, uh, which is still a bit weird to be saying, because I can't really believe it, I still pinch myself. I'm a, I'm a camera journalist for BBC News. So to you and I, that I'm basically, I'm a cameraman and I'm also an editor. So what I film, I also edit. And uh, my day-to-day -day is never the same, really. Um, it's all to do with news and whatever's going on in the world. And uh, it could be from something like going and standing outside a court in London for 10 hours just to get a 20-second shot of someone who's coming out of the building at the end of the day. Or it could be flying somewhere in the world to, to cover a story. Um, it, it can literally be from zero to 100 um, in, you know, no time. And, uh, you know, I could even get a phone call now and I'd have to go somewhere. I hope not, because uh, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, leave this, uh, this great recording. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's crazy, really. So you just talked about how sometimes you pinch yourself and can't believe the job you're doing. What are some news stories that you have covered that you kind of say, wow, I, I can't believe this is my job? Well, um, that's a hard one because I do so many news stories a year. But, you know, if you think about how many news stories there are in a day and then you, you, you look at a year, there's so many. Um, one that I had, which was in the first year when I became permanent and came back to London to where I, I, I trained as an apprentice. I actually was filming at the, uh, the royal wedding of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And uh, I was sort of in the, the grounds of Windsor Castle. And that was one of those where I, I definitely pinched myself. I was like, oh my gosh, like, am I actually here? Specifically what I was doing, I was filming um, some images of the church um, or the chapel where they were going to be wed on the early morning. It was about 6 a.m. in the morning. And they just uh, finished the arrangements of all the flowers. And it was that morning when uh, one camera person was allowed to go in and film shots of the the church all set and ready and that camera person was me and uh, i i i couldn't believe it and it was such a big job because it was going to be handed out to the world pool so every major news agency in the world were going to have my pictures and to be trusted to do that you know being only a few years into my career, I think it was probably about two years in then was just, I, I felt so, so lucky to have had lovely people around me and in, in the BBC who believed in me. And, you know, I still pinch myself even today that I'm doing the job that I'm doing. Um, it's a, an absolute privilege, to be honest. Um, would you say that your most cherished moment at BBC is the same moment or is it something quite different? Most cherished? My most cherished moment was getting that phone call to say that I got a permanent job, to be quite honest. Um, don't worry, the royal wedding was nice, but for the record, it, 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 that's not what I do all the time. Um, and I, I was there covering it for news. So, you know, the, the shots that everyone would have seen weren't done by me but you know I, I except for those sort of flower shots that i mentioned um but no the the moment that i will most cherish is when i was up in manchester and i just got out of bed and um my well he was sort of a manager when i was apprentice at the time but my current manager um who was in that department phoned me and was like uh congratulations rob we'd like to give you the the staff job and staff job in bbc terms means permanent and uh I couldn't believe it. I, I was very, very fortunate that I got an interview and I thought, wow, they've given me an interview. I mean, that's nice. Um, and I, I just did it because it was good experience. Um, someone once told me that 
it would probably take me until I was 30 to get into filming uh, where I work now, which is network news, where you can be anywhere in the country and watch it. You know, I, I work for primarily the six and 10 o'clock news bulletins, which go out nationally in the UK. And I also work occasionally for BBC World News, which is broadcast globally. And, you know, it, it, it took me back to that moment where someone said, you've got to be 30 to get into it. And, you know, you've got to work in local news for so many years to, to build your craft up. And, and that's what I had in my mind. And that was my plan. I look back on moments like that where I was like, gosh, things could be really different. When reporting something, what does your team look like? So <laughs> it's funny. Um, often people think that it's like a big Netflix production or something. And, you know, we've got makeup artists, lighting people, sound people, you know, engineers and all this massive team of people. Um, but generally it's three people. It's, it's me, the camera person, um, the reporter or presenter, you know, the journalist, um, and a producer who, who keeps it all together and makes everything happen. Producers are the unsung heroes, really, of everything. They make everything happen. Um, so, yeah, it's a real tight-knit team. Um, and sometimes it could just be me and a reporter or presenter. Um, so a two-person thing. You know, if when I've been filming in a hospital with Fergus, generally it has been me and him because, you know, in terms of infection control and health and safety, you want to reduce the amount of people that are in there at one time. Um, but generally it, it's it's three people. Although sometimes I have previously just gone out on my own and been more of, you know, a video journalist where I'll go out and just interview people and say, you know, look at my hand if, you know, I want to pretend that they're talking to someone. Or if I'm filming for digital, we often film what's called down the barrel where they'll just be sort of looking straight into the camera, which is quite impactful for sort of things because it is like they are talking to the audience directly. You know, I can remember I was in a in a hospital um, working with one of our health correspondents about a month ago. And um, for one reason or another, it was just me filming in the ward. And uh, this poor nurse, she broke down in tears because it was, you know, it, it's such an immense pressure um, on our National Health Service, our, our NHS, um, for everyone working there. And things just got a bit too much. So I was there sort of a fly on the wall and although tricky, we do have to sort of show that sort of stuff. So I sort of filmed from afar and then went over to her, I checked she was okay. And I then said, would you be happy to talk to us? And she went, yeah. And now my reporter was otherwise engaged. So I basically just said a few questions, you know, just the basics, how are you feeling? What would your message be? But that's very rare. <laughs> So you most of the time work behind the screen. Have you ever thought about working on the screen as an interviewer? No way. I think the uh, I, I chose a, a behind the scenes role for a reason. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I have a face of radio as is a, a common joke in our industry. Um, I mean, even doing this sort of thing like a podcast is something new. Um, and, you know, I was quite nervous. I, d I don't think I can hack it for uh, for broadcast and being on everyone's TVs. But who knows? Who knows? But definitely not at the minute. Maybe, you know, this podcast will probably be everlasting. Maybe in 10 years' time, I'll look back on it as a benchmark and, you know, I could be in front of the camera. But I don't think so. That's my answer. <laughs> and and why is that? Do you just not enjoy doing that? Or is there other specific reason? I think with that sort of thing, I have to sort of think, what am I good at? And we already have to do quite a lot in what we do. You know, people would call me a camera person. You may just think I point a camera. I don't just do that. I do the camera. I did the sound, I did the lighting, and quite often now, because of the new technology that we have, 
I'm often setting up the live broadcast. We don't have satellite trucks a lot. We, we use these backpacks that we can plug our cameras into and they just stream over a mobile signal. I, I set up all of that and make sure that the reporter can hear the studio and stuff like that. Um, and I edit as well. So I think I've already got enough tasks on my plate, to be honest. So if I just get the timeline correct, so you secured an apprenticeship at BBC when you were 18 in 2016 without a secure job offer after. But you got yes. an offer as a camera person in late 2017 after your apprenticeship. And then yes. just in two years, you were promoted to become the youngest senior camera person in the BBC's news division. I mean, that's huge. Yes. Right. What would you yeah. say the biggest attributes or reasons that you were able to accomplish these? To be quite honest, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I'm very, very fortunate. But what I would say is that there was one day when I got a phone call saying, listen, Rob, there's this story that's, that's happened. I can't remember what it was. And it was probably about three o'clock. And they were like, we need someone who can shoot and edit a film for the six o'clock news, which was in three hours time. And I must admit, I was very nervous when I was asked, could you shoot and edit for the six o'clock news? But I knew, I knew that I had to say yes. Now, don't get me wrong, if I knew that I wasn't capable, I would have said no, because and that's a big piece of advice to anyone. Never, ever say you could do something if you're not sure about it, because, you know, you get this one shot, but you have to deliver. So I took the plunge and I said yes, and I managed to do it. And through that, someone then recommended me to someone else. And it was a snowball effect where I'd then do we call it a shoot edit. I do a shoot edit for this person and then another person and someone else sees it and like, oh, Rob, do you want to come and do this? And then I, I got interest from our foreign news team and then I started, because, you know, I don't really have many ties. And when uh, our foreign news team found out that, you know, I, I could literally go at the drop of a hat, I have occasionally had the, the odd request and I've, 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 I've gone abroad, mainly in Europe, um, to, to cover stories and, and that was really good so that sort of gave me the experience and the cause to then apply for a senior role when it came up now I'm not permanent as a senior crew but I have been sort of acting as one as we would call it for probably about a year and a half now and I've got a contract that runs out in about six months so my sort of my my next sort of personal objective is, is to try and get a permanent role but yeah it's uh it's been great that they've given me this shot to be a senior camera crew because it just motivates me even more to try and do the best that i can and as i said there are some lovely people in the organization and to be trusted by them is, is, is a real honor for me. What's the average age range of your colleagues with similar rank and positions and, you know, working with people who are much older than you? Do you have this like self-doubting moments? Um, maybe like I'm not experienced to do this. And how do you overcome that? I mean, yeah, I, I get imposter syndrome all the time. Um, possibly I don't show it. But I can tell you now, I definitely get imposter syndrome where I'm about to do a shoot or I'm doing a shoot and I'm like, God, am I actually cut out for this? But then, you know, I think about how I got to where I am and all the lovely support I have and and then just sort of kick myself out of it. I often get that before like a, a really important job where I have to nail it. Um, and often I don't sleep or, or, or something like that. But once I get into it, the adrenaline kicks in and I just do it. And then the imposter syndrome comes up again. You know, if I'm driving back from a job and I'm, I'm about to put the footage in when I get home or, or to work into my laptop, I'm like, oh God, was it good? Was it good? I'm not sure because it all just goes like a flash on, on those sort of things, particularly if you're filming in hospitals or, or, or things like that where it's emotionally taxing on you but you're in work mode, so you're like, right, 
you've you've just got to do the job it's in it's in the quiet moments where i sort of doubt myself a little bit um in terms of sort of the demographic of of my department quite a lot of um of the people in the department are, are sort of older so 40s 50s but i don't feel alienated by that whatsoever because they took us all in when we were apprentices and so when i say we i'm talking about sort of the five six seven of us who have come up through those schemes and are now sort of in the department are sort of the young people i don't feel alienated at all because they welcomed us in with open arms and they're they're a, a constant source of knowledge they've done everything you know you name it going abroad working in this country working in that country they've done it and you can talk to any of those colleagues anytime they're always on the end of the phone and they're there to give you advice and they've got no problem um my mentor tony i i will always phone him if i've got like a a job that i'm not sure about or you know so i'm going to film i don't know someone important like the royals or the prime minister or something like that and say have you filmed them um how would you do this have you filmed in this part of downing street or something like that have you got any tips or, or anything like that or you know even to oh do you know where there's some car parking near the the high court in london um it, it, we've got one colleague um martin who's a great colleague of mine and uh he he takes all the sort of newer um people in the department on a parking tour and he drives us around obviously not now but in normal times when you first start takes us on a parking tour of, of you know where to park in london for all the all the big things and, it, and it's just stuff like that which is so useful you know um and you know where, where the best cafes are toilets are a big thing because we're always out and about you know and you know from that to the big stuff you know they're always there and we are incredibly lucky to have access to this wealth of knowledge um and it is it is if those people weren't there none of us would have got into the industry because it's their kindness and their willingness to help and i guess at their stage of their career where they're experienced and and all that they want to make sure that the department will continue to you know make the highest quality films the most impactful films the best films and work that we can do so they're you know they're all they're all happy to instill their knowledge um into us and and yeah, I, I'm I'm so so grateful, as as I know a lot of my younger colleagues are, that we've got access to this unparalleled book of knowledge. It's great. Kind of transitioning to the next part is that I think a lot of people have dreams or goals and believe that there are many obstacles in the way, you know, such as not having the correct camera gear, like in your position or technology. I think the most common excuse is not having the adequate skill or experience. And the most ironic part is that you can only obtain them by being pretty bad at it when you first begin. And so what's your take on this? How do you perceive this kind of the circle of not being able to start because I don't have experience and then just kind of go through that loop again? I mean, I don't often have people getting in touch with me, but when they do and they say, look, I want to get into something that you're doing, but I don't have any experience. And I say, well, you know, particularly with, with what I do, it's so easy to get experience. You know, we have all got iPhones or a phone with a camera. Just go out and film with it. You can get such good quality images now that, you know, you don't need all this expensive gear by filming things and then watching it back, you learn. I mean, thankfully, some of the stuff that I used to film when I was 13 or 14 is nowhere to be seen, and I'm very glad about that. But, you know, when I did have access to that stuff, 
I'd watch back and I'd be like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> but it provides a benchmark. And if I, you know, if I look back now, if I hadn't made those silly videos on YouTube filmed on my phone, I wouldn't have got that energy and that drive to get me to where I am now. Yeah, I feel like especially because you're working in the media industry, yeah. I think you have the record of you being bad at it in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and also it'll be it'll be pretty boring if you're like born to be like so great at it and then like you're just great all your life. It's it's fun to watch the progress. Listen, Jen, we are always learning. I'm learning something new every day. My mentor who is in his late 50s is always learning every day you know he comes to me sometimes and says oh rob you know how do i do something on on our editing software how, how do i how do i make this graphic or how do i how can i do this how can i do that we are all learning and you have to accept that you will not know everything and you'll always learn yeah um also, you know, you work at a news division and I'm sure you need to be quick on your feet and be able to work under pressure. Um, and there are sayings that the people you surround yourself with and the work you do change you as a person. How would you say that working under pressure and having this job change you over time? You know what? I often think about this a lot in terms of how I used to be and what I am now. And without going too much into it, I had a pretty rough childhood. My parents were split up. They split up at a very young age. Uh, I was about seven. Um, I had a bit of a rough start at school. And then sort of in my, in my teens, things started getting better. But back then when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, I was uh, very introverted. I had a, a couple of friends didn't really go out much. I also went to a boys school for most of my life. So, you know, girls and stuff, you don't really, uh, you don't really, you know, having a, a mixed gender uh, school, I guess kind of helps with sort of social events and stuff. Um, and I didn't really do sport. And a lot of, a lot of guys do sport at school. So, you know, I didn't really have much going for me. And I was very, very shy. Um, not outgoing in the slightest. But then getting into the industry and particularly working at the BBC, being surrounded by people who, as part of your job, you have to talk to strangers. I, I learned so much and completely came out of my shell. And, you know, if you ask any of my family, my dad, my sister, they'd say, you're a different man. And... I, I am incredibly thankful, particularly to my mentor, Tony, who is, uh, if any of my colleagues listen to this, they will totally agree. He is such a good talker, so good at re uh, relaxing you and putting you at ease. He's also a great laugh. And I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot from the people that I worked with because, yeah, I, I, I was, I may seem confident. Well, I hope I seem confident anyway, but I certainly wasn't way back when and uh, this job changed my life in that respect because I became someone yeah, don't get me wrong I, I still think I, I can be a little bit awkward at times but I can hold a conversation I can do things like this it's uh, it's life changing and uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that I managed to get the opportunities that I managed to get um, and, and met some fantastic people who were able to enable me to come out of my shell um, and to be honest if I couldn't have done that I, I wouldn't have succeeded in this job because I meet new people every day and my job as a camera person is to make them feel at ease if I'm going to be filming them and to make sure that they feel happy and that they feel as confident as can be right wow I didn't know that so that's very interesting to hear yeah. there you go yeah. <laughs> so some may say that you have achieved everything that people want to accomplish in their 20s right you, you have secured a very good job you love your job do you have any other goals that you want to achieve in your 20s that's a tricky one i mean career wise you know 
it sounds really, really sort of corny, but I'm doing my dream job, which is, you know, I, as I said, I still pinch myself. Um, and I'm very, very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. But in terms of other things, you know, I still live at home with my dad. Um, in London, it's super expensive to get property of your own. Um, I don't personally see a point in renting places. So I would like to buy a property within the next 10 years, hopefully. Um, but I've just got to keep saving. And uh, fingers crossed that will happen. That's kind of only a, a real goal for me. Apart from possibly, I would like to maybe go abroad for longer periods for work. There isn't much, but for example, the US elections, we did send uh, one person to go there and cover that. So maybe to do something like that would be nice. Gotcha. I mean, maybe, you know, you thought that it'll take 10 years to to be in a position. So maybe you'll you'll save up enough money faster than 10 years. Uh, we'll <laughs> see. I mean, um, yeah. We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, it, it, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, believe it or not, these these the jobs that we do in this industry aren't very well paid in comparison. You know, if I was a hedge fund manager, I'd be on... <laughs> so much more you know i'd be right. able to get a property you know or a place to live at least you know very quickly um mm. but yeah you know we'll just have to wait and see and yeah i'm a great believer in saving so you know if i keep putting some money away every month then you know i'll get there eventually right and in your response you know you say the word dream right and i feel like this has been for the for as long as I remember a buzzword like having a passion having a dream for you in your own word could you define a passion or a dream for us for me a passion or dream is something that you live and breathe you never switch off from it you might have a break from it but it is something that you want to achieve it, it's a goal but it's not just that it's not just a goal and you achieve that goal and then you stop. It's an ongoing, everlasting thing. And I think it's really rare to find a real passion or dream. To be fair, you know, in, in the in the bare context of the word, you can have dreams. But a passion is something that, in my view, is very rare to find. Um, if I asked a few of my friends, is what they're doing their passion? They might say yes, they might say no, but it's probably more likely they'll say no. Would you say you're doing what's passionate for you? Absolutely. I would say yeah. that I would say that I am I'm living my passion. Um But it's hard to describe because it's not it, 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 it's intangible. Right. It's intangible. You can't you can't touch it, but it's there in your mind and it's it's a goal, but it's also, it's it's a life, really, you know. Because if you are passionate about something, you know, you're living with it. It's not just something on the side. It's it's part of your tapestry. It's it's sewn in. It's it's part of you. That's what I would say a passion or a dream is. Gotcha. So it's not something you can turn on and off. It's just who you are. It's just what you do. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong, you know. <laughs> if 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 we call what I'm doing my passion, which I think it is, you know, I can book a holiday or something. But, you know, I am still even when I'm switched off, I'm still still thinking about things, thinking how I can improve. And I think that's an important thing about a passion. If you're really passionate about something, you'll want to be the best that you can be. And you'll understand that you'll always be learning, you'll always be improving. And I think a really important thing, which I struggled in the first few years of, of my career, was being resilient. And when you're told that maybe you're not doing something quite right, don't take that as a negative thing. Take it as a positive. Take it as uh, 
you know, a benchmark that you could look onto, a bit like my old films. If I was saying this a few years ago, I'd be a hypocrite because I, I did take, I used to take it to heart. But you've got to remember if people are going to give you feedback and it might be a bit negative and make you feel upset, they're doing that because they believe in you and they want you to do well. Do you have any characteristics that you admire about a person? The number one thing for me that I admire in a person, it's kindness and a willingness to help. I am not a, I'm not personally a fan of people who are competitive. I get that there will be certain things where you need to be competitive with each other. But for someone like me who four years ago was trying to get in the industry, it was down to the kindness of people and their willingness to help me that I am where I am today. The other thing that's important for me, and it's something I try to do, I really appreciate someone who has got drive or a passion. Drive is so important. Drive is everything in terms of improving yourself, whether that's at work or, or just sort of personally outside of work. You've got to have that drive to get to where you eventually want to be. And I think that's really, really important. And the third thing, I'm thinking something along the, side, along the lines of perfection, but you can't have perfection. I'm trying to think of a way to say it. You need to be prepared. You've got to be prepared for anything. And that's something, particularly with my colleagues, I really rate in someone. You know, I could be on the way to work and something could happen and I need to have all my gear ready and my mind ready just to react. You know, if I haven't charged my camera batteries or I haven't got a card in the camera and I press record and nothing starts recording, I'm not prepared and I'm not doing my job right. So in news where things could change at the drop of a hat, got to be prepared for everything. I have my passport in my bag on me all the time. I have a grab bag in my locker at work with enough clothes and stuff to sort me out for a week. And, you know, you can always buy stuff if you have to go somewhere. Always be prepared. Because, and this is sort of a piece of advice, I would say, if you're sort of like me getting in, it's really tricky to not say no. It's really tricky to not say no. And my advice would be, try and say yes as much as you can. You achieve so much through your hard work, ethics, and desire to pursue what you love. Um, so now tell us, do you have any bad habits that are so hard to fix? I'd say a bad habit of mine is I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Often, if you come into an edit suite when I'm, when I'm putting something together, you'll just see me keep playing and playing and playing and playing and playing the same thing again, because I want it to be perfect thing is in the industry that I work in in news you very rarely can get things perfect I cannot be a perfectionist all the time sometimes and this is a big thing of my job you just have to deliver and that is the key attribute you need if you're going to work in this industry you've got to deliver you've had a lot of trust put in you you've got to do what you've been asked to do you've got to do your job got to be on time because if you're not that's when you might struggle to survive in this industry that's pretty clever answer because you were going to pick perfectionist as your you know third most admirable thing about a person and i feel like you know the interview questions that i i see is that make the flaws as kind of like your strength so i i do understand that totally could be the flaw but do you have other real flaws such as i cannot wake up early or i have sweet tooth or i don't know like i i don't know something something different as well well Jen, you know i'm just a perfect <laughs> person you know uh no i i don't like early mornings 
early starts are, uh, are difficult. Very, very difficult. But if I have something interesting coming up, the adrenaline kicks in and it gets me out of it. And uh, a big tip, just throw yourself in the shower straight away. It wakes you <laughs> up. And coffee. Coffee I didn't discover until sort of just as the pandemic was starting. I never used to drink coffee. Really? Um, yeah, but wow. It's, a, yeah. it's an amazing thing. Oh, of course. I love coffee. How much cups do you drink a day? Uh, I never usually more than one. Um, and I don't religiously have one a day um, because, you know, caffeine is good, but, you know, arguably it could be bad if you have it to excess. Right. Uh, but no, if I'm at work, one a day, um. maybe two if it's a stressful one. <laughs> So for people who want to do what you want to do, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Let me redo that. So for aspiring filmmakers, do you have any advice for them um, if they want to work in this industry? Well, first and foremost, as I've said, you know, just get out there and film stuff. That's that's the main thing that you're going to learn. But to sort of get in the industry, believe it or not, it's Compared to you know a few decades ago, it is becoming increasingly easier. I'm not saying it, it will be handed on a plate to you, but it is more accessible to try and get those opportunities. For example, the BBC's trainee schemes and apprenticeships are, you know, a great gateway into a world-renowned broadcaster, and it's really, really nice that there is that alternative to say a university education i have last three questions that i've prepared so the first one is how i found you you know you made the forbes list of 30 under 30 could you describe the process of how you made it to this list i wish i could give you something really long-winded and very thorough but it literally was a few months before it was published i got an email saying i've been nominated i don't know who by so if anyone's listening to this and wants to say hello and you know let me know that'd be great and, and you know i'm thank you to you um because it's extremely kind i got an email i got asked to fill out a quick questionnaire um i had to check this all through with uh our press office because the BBC particularly has to be very careful about external engagements and opportunities. Um, that got cleared. I filled in the questionnaire and they said, oh, could you send a headshot as well? I sent that and then I think three months later, it got published in February. Oh, it, literally, it's coming up to about a year ago. I got an email saying, congratulations, you made it. And it had been published. There was no no uh, advance warning and uh, I remember getting the email and I was like wow you know little old me had, uh, had, had, had got this accolade which was um, fantastic and again it was another sort of pinch yourself moment I, I was I remember vividly saying to my friends oh my god I'm on like I'm on the Forbes list <laughs> like it was it was a great moment my other question was if you had to pick if you did not become interested in film what another career path would you have picked Ooh. so I actually did a bit of work experience when I was 14 um, at my local council sort of working there in their uh, elections office so you know People think that elections offices only work when there's an election on, but they don't. Anyone that moves in or out of a, of a locality, the elections office look after that. So maybe something clerical, working in an office of some sort. You know, I, I was I was quite a dab hand with Word and Excel and you know all that sort of stuff, and I'm quite a quick learner. So you know, if companies have got certain systems and stuff, I was able to sort of get my have on that quite quickly. I also did work experience in an accountancy, but I'm very rubbish at maths, so I don't think that would have been it. Um, aside from that, 
I did also do a bit of work. I actually managed to get a job at my school while I was a student, which was a bit odd. Uh, I was an audiovisual technician. So lights and sound for, you, you know, school events and concerts and productions. I used to do stuff like that. And quite likely there would have been an opportunity to maybe have stuck around there and to have worked there. Um, completely aside from that, I quite like my uh, police dramas and stuff. So maybe I would have looked into being a policeman or something. I don't know. Last question of the interview is, what percentage of your success would you say is luck versus everything else? I would say luck has been 40%. And I say that being a bit of a reformed man, because I used to say it was 100% luck. Oh, wow. But my, ment but my mentor said to me, you make your own luck. But there is always right place, right time, which is kind of like luck. And I do believe in right place, right time, which is why saying yes helps a lot. And, you know, keeping in touch with people because they may say, oh, um, we've got this thing coming up and that could just be in person because you've just walked past them. But yeah, I would say 40% luck. And the reason I say that is that I think I've worked quite hard to get to where I am. I didn't used to think like that. A lot of people that are much more established than me have said, you know, you make your own luck. And I do believe that now. But it's like I said about the whole sort of if you've got no experience type thing. I just went out and I did it. You know, I made absolute rubbish with my friends for YouTube. But it, it, it sparked my interest, you know, and I just kept going on from there. And it's hard when you make something and you're like not happy with it. It's sometimes a struggle to keep going. But you've just got to think, if I just push once more, that could lead to something. So I think it's a mix. Some of it is right place, right time, but a lot of it, in my opinion, is what you put in. Because you only get out of something what you put into it. When I was growing up, adults would often ask me, what's your dream? What do you want to be when you grow up? I never took those questions seriously because they felt distant, something that would happen naturally with the passage of time. At that time, I thought that when I turned 20 years old, I'll be an adult and achieved what I vaguely imagined as a child. But I am 20 years old now, so there is no such thing as what do I want to be when I grow up because I am grown up in my child's standard. So no more procrastination by daydreaming about what I want to do after graduation. I need to take the actions now. To learn more about Rob and other passioners we have interviewed in this podcast, and to see behind the scenes of how we create each of our episodes, follow our Instagram at Passioners Podcast. Thanks, Rob, for sharing your journey. You showed us that there is a unique path for each of us, and that we don't have to take the conventional route. This episode is researched, edited, and produced by Janice Kang. The episode art is by Amar Rahik. Social media photos and descriptions are by Claire Hems. Next episode, Mike and Ali interview Jennifer Evans, president and CEO of the Chapman Cultural Center in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Passioners Podcast tells the stories of passioners and their journeys. My name is Janice King. Thanks for listening.